0: Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. God is good, and all the time, Amen. Especially today, uh, we're celebrating something today called Ascension Sunday. Uh, the Ascension is is an event with Jesus that the church really doesn't talk about that much. You know, when we talk about the incarnation, that's when Jesus came at Christmas. And then Good Friday is when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And then the resurrection, Easter Sunday, right? Well, 40 days after Easter, Jesus ascended to heaven to the right hand of God to reign and rule and power. And as a church, we just kind of don't talk about that. I think it's because we're not really sure what to do with it. There's no Easter bunny associated with it. There's no Christmas presents associated with it. Uh, But it is very important because the crucifixion, the resurrection, don't matter as much without the ascension. In fact, when I first started to understand what the ascension was and how much it mattered for us as our Christian faith, I was so confused why the church wasn't really talking about this. And then I began to look in scripture and realize that the ascension is all, up, all through the New Testament and even part of the Old Testament. Like they think it's a big deal. In fact, one of the first sermons that was preached by Peter after the ascension wasn't just about the crucifixion and resurrection. It was about Jesus ascending to the right hand of God, the Father in power. Now, 40 days after the resurrection, that would be this Thursday. So this Thursday is Ascension Day, but we're celebrating it today. We're going to be talking about it from Ephesians chapter 1, and even in your daily prayers that you'll receive this week via email, we'll be focusing on the ascension to help you get a grasp of what it means. So today we're going to look at Ephesians 1 and 2, and I want you to look in this text for language that talks about Jesus ascending to heaven at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Next, Ephesians, later in the, book of, later in the chapter of Ephesians 1 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. Now watch this. He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. One more verse from chapter two. He also raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might be able to display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The Word of God. We are all looking for power. We're all looking for spiritual power. A couple years ago, there was a lot of news stories about Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's the guard for the Brooklyn Nets, and he used to play for the Boston Celtics. And once he moved to the Nets, he had a game where he had to go back to Boston. And what caused the news stories was before the game started, even before the fans were there, Kyrie uh, lit some sage in the corner of the stadium and began walking around the court with the burning sage, performing a little ritual. And lots of pictures were taken, lots of people were going, what is he doing? And Kyrie Irving's mom is from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. So he has a family history with indigenous peoples. And this was a practice that that tribe did for cleansing, for power, uh, for transformation. And so Kyrie did that before his return to Boston to cleanse the stadium of any bad energy to provide himself with spiritual power. And later he was interviewed. He was interviewed on a podcast called I Am Athlete. And they were really interested in this interview. They were really interested in knowing more about why he was burning sage. And In the interview, he actually burnt some sage. He actually did that for them. And uh, it was so funny to see their reactions. They started talking about the burning of sage and saying things like, Man, if if I did this all the time, I would get more money. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, who was a running back, said, if I did this, my yardage would be like 5,000 yards more. In other words, if we do this, we have spiritual power. If we do this, it's going to make our lives better because we're all looking for spiritual power. We're looking for the power to cleanse. We're looking for the power to heal. We're looking for the power to transform. Most people believe that there's an unseen spiritual realm. There's, there's this world that we can't really see and, and things happen there and power is available from there for us. And if we can just get a hold of that power, if we can figure out how to wield that power, that power will help us and that power will transform us and that, that power will protect us and that power will liberate us. And it makes us squirm a little bit to think that there might be power out there that we don't have access to. There's something going on. Maybe someone can use that power against me, or maybe I could get the, my hands on that power. It makes us squirm to think that there's power out there that we might not have or we might not get. When, when Paul writes to the Ephesian church, you'll remember a couple of weeks ago that we talked about how the, the Ephesian church was located in Ephesus, and there was a massive temple in that city the temple of Artemis, the temple of Diana. And that spiritual presence overtook the city of Ephesus. So when people became Christians in that city, they were turning away from the spiritual power of that temple and turning to the spiritual power of Jesus. But it concerned them that there was still spiritual power out there, that this temple still existed. They struggled to understand that there's another power out there besides Jesus, and that power makes them squirm. They're not really that different than us. But Paul writes to them in the book of of Ephesians. He writes to them as they're squirming about the spiritual power that they don't have, and he says, listen, there is power out there, and it's not something that you could control, yet it controls all things. There is power out there, and you can't really wield it in your hand, yet this power has you in its hands. The power isn't a thing. It's not a force. It's not an energy. It's a person. And that person is King Jesus. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and says this, as they squirm about the spiritual powers that might be at work in the world, he says, King Jesus is seated in the heavens in power, and you are seated with him. King Jesus is seated in the heavens in power, and you are seated with him. First off, let's talk about Jesus being seated in the heavens in power. I said we celebrate the ascension today. Verse 20 says that God exercised this power in Christ by not only raising him from the dead, which is the resurrection, but also seating him at the right hand of God in the heavens. Now, 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus said goodbye to his disciples and he ascended up into the clouds. Now this wasn't flight, it wasn't space travel, it was Jesus returning to a heavenly realm. Just as he had come from a heavenly realm, what we celebrate at Christmas in the incarnation, now he is returning to a heavenly realm. And the clouds that appear, that he disappears into, clouds show up when God is present. So it's symbolizing that Jesus is leaving the earth to return to heaven. And when he ascends, he goes to the right hand of God. And that's not some random thing where God, said, God the Father says, should I put him on my right? Or should I put him on my left? This is God saying, my right hand is my hand of strength and power. And my beloved son sits at my right hand. He sits. He doesn't stand. He sits. You sit when you've done the work that you were called to do. And Jesus sits down at the right hand of God because he has accomplished everything that God sent him on the earth to do. He sits down in power at the right hand of God. Many have said this, the tomb is empty and the throne is full. The tomb of Jesus is empty, but the throne of the universe is full. Christ sits at the right hand of God. And he doesn't sit just a little bit in power over everything else. He sits far above all power and all authority. Paul writes in verse 21, he's far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is the supreme power in the universe. He rules and reigns over all things. This is is why before he ascends to heaven, in Matthew 28, he tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. All authority is his. Ray Ortland says that Jesus, King Jesus, ascended to the throne is now the super reality of the universe. You and I get so caught up in our problems and our problems are real. But what is more real is that Jesus sits at the right hand of God in power and nothing can stop him. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. He says, there is no greater rule than Christ. There is no authority that can thwart his purposes. There is no power that can withstand his. There is no dominion that can prevent his advance. Jesus has ascended to heaven and he sits at the right hand of God in power. What do you do with that? How do you apply that to your life? It's kind of so massive and so ethereal. What do we do with that? Well, if we go back just a couple of verses, Paul tells us in verse 18a and 19, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his what? Of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. When when Paul says that he would know the power of God that is in the ascension, that is in Christ at the right hand of God, he's not saying, I hope you look it up on Wikipedia and look up the ascension and learn where it is in scripture and what exactly happened. That's all good. But Paul's praying for something much more radical, something much more life-changing. He's praying that the eyes of your heart would be opened to Jesus as the super reality in the universe so that Jesus as king in heaven becomes your ultimate reality. Jesus as the super reality in the universe becomes your ultimate reality. What would life look like if that became your ultimate reality? What would it do in moments of disappointment, in moments of despair, And moments of discouragement. Well, it wouldn't make them go away, but it would certainly reorient them, right? It would certainly reorient them. You could say, you know, right now, I'm in the midst of discouragement, but I know my king sits at the right hand of God in power, and that his power is available to me. Paul prays that we would know Jesus' power, and even as you hear it, You long for more because you want to know him. But here's the good news. You already know Christ, and you already know some of his power. You've experienced it already. You've experienced in your life because as a member of his body, you are united to him. Many people think that the problems in the world are problems outside of ourself. Like we need to have power of all the problems that are going on in the world. The problems in the world are like, we need to have better health. And there's people out there that are keeping us from having better health. We need to have more freedom. And there's people out there who are keeping us from having more freedom. We need to have better self-esteem. And there's people out there who are keeping us from having better self-esteem. Now, now that's true, but it's not ultimate. That's true, but it's not ultimate. When you put those things as your ultimate, you begin to look for things to bring into your life that will give you some power. But the Christian story is actually very different. It's almost opposite. In the Christian story, it says the problem's not primarily out there. The problem's primarily in here. And the solution isn't getting something out there for power. The solution is that someone got you. Someone came towards you. Someone expressed power on your behalf. And that person was King Jesus. Read this text again with me, verses uh, 3 through 14 in chapter 1. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Whenever you see that term in Christ, that means that Jesus and you are one. We as the church are united because Jesus has come and got us. For he chose us in him, in Jesus, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished us on, on us in the beloved one. That's Jesus again. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in who? In Christ. As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in him. You can go to the next slide. In Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, in Jesus, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. And the last verse, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Now, if you feel almost assaulted by all that, know that in the original Greek, that's one sentence. Like Paul is rambling on about all the things that Christ has done in uniting himself to us that he forgets to put a period. He just puts commas and goes and goes and goes with this run-on sentence because he wants to hammer you with the reality that you are united to Christ and the one that sits in heaven in power is one with you. We think that the problem in the world is out there and that if we can just get some solution, we'll get more liberation, more freedom, more health. Paul says, no, the problem is our sin and our rebellion and our separation from God, but God's power was expressed in his son coming to get us. In other words, the freedom that you long for, you already have in Christ. The cleansing that you want in your heart have in Christ. You have been chosen. You have been adopted. You have been lavished with God's grace. You have been redeemed. You have an inheritance in Christ. You have hope in Christ. And just to let you know that he's for real, God has put his Holy Spirit in you so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. You are united to him. When was the last time you allowed that reality to really capture your heart? When was the last time that you allowed Jesus' unity to you and his power on behalf of you? When was the last time you actually rested in that? When was the last time you let it stir up your affections? Because all these things are true, whether you feel them but when you feel them when they capture your heart it allows you to live in the spiritual power that you have longed for see you already know the power of Christ you already know the closeness of the one who reigns and rules on your behalf you can know it more Paul says in chapter 2 verse 6 he says this God also raised us up with him, with Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Now, let's just say the obvious. You all are sitting in pews. I hope they're comfy. I hope they don't squeak too much. But but Paul's saying there's something more real. That you and I are so close with Jesus, not because of us, but because he has expressed his power to us, that our position is secure in heaven with him. John Calvin says, the ascension means that heaven is not merely a hope, but a present possession for the church in Jesus Christ. There's so much talk about politics right now. There's there's talk about being displaced. There's so much talk about being on the margins or being replaced And those are all good discussions. But for the Christian, there is a security we have knowing that our position in heaven is secure. That not only has King Jesus been seated at the right hand of God, but that our position in heaven is so secure that Paul can say, we have been seated by God with Jesus in heaven. Isn't it amazing? I mean, we have an inside man on heaven. In heaven, like we have, we know a guy, right? You ever, you ever have repair jobs that you need done and you're like, I don't know who to get as a plumber and someone goes, I got a guy. We've got a guy on the inside in heaven and he promises that he loves us and his power is being expressed for us and he's preparing a place for us to go or with him for eternity. Heaven is our current possession. But the power of heaven is also available to us on earth. In verse 22, Paul says, and he, God, subjected everything under Jesus' feet and appointed him as head over everything for his own glory. Well, that's certainly true, but that's not what it says. Everything was put under Jesus' feet for the benefit of the church. Jesus rules and reigns in power for the good of you and the good of me. For his people, as the church, Jesus has been put in power. So when we talk about Jesus seated on the throne, it's not about a feeling. It's about a reality that someone has been coronated as the king of the universe, and he rules and reigns for our benefit. And it's so vast, it's so hard to get your head around that Paul says the only way really to get your head around it is to pray. That's why he prays for the Ephesians. He he prays. In fact, the ascension fuels our prayers, and our prayers fuel the power of heaven here on earth. When you get the ascension, when you get that you have an inside man at the right hand of God, it will increase your quantity of prayers, and your quality of prayers. How often do you and I feel like our prayers just go into our living room and then sort of get caught up in the fan and dispersed, and they don't go anywhere? The ascension tells us that our prayers, every word we say, are heard by the one who is at the right hand of God in power, the one who has all power and expresses that power for the benefit of the church the benefit of the church. Not only that, but he sends the Holy Spirit once he ascends to heaven. Next week, Cody's going to be talking about Pentecost, the the, the Holy Spirit coming and indwelling us. But I mean, if you think about this, when you pray, you often feel a conviction, right? Like when there's sin in our life, the Holy Spirit convicts us. And we ignore that a lot of times. And we're like, "Eh, whatever, I'm going to do my own thing. Do you get that when you ignore the conviction of the Spirit, you're missing out on the power of the ascension? Jesus ascends to heaven at the right hand of God and he sends the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the Christian life. And when we ignore this Holy Spirit, we're ignoring the King who sent the Spirit. The power of the ascension is available to us in prayer. And when the Holy Spirit nudgingly, lovingly, convicts us of our sin, he's here to empower us because Jesus has kept us on earth. Or a purpose, the, the first disciples struggled with the idea of Jesus ascending to the throne because they're like, man, this thing's cooking. Like, we got a movement going here, Jesus. Lead us. And, and Jesus' response was, I'm going to ascend to the throne and then I'll send the Spirit to empower you. And you will be the fullness of who I am on earth. That, that's what Paul says in verse 23. He, he says... That the church is the body of Christ, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. As Jesus ascends, he says, I have all power, but I will give you my power. You won't have to seek power. You can rest in my power. And I leave you here on earth to make disciples and be representatives of the kingdom of God knowing that my power is with you the power we long for to transform to heal to liberate to protect that power has already been promised to us in Jesus Christ the ascended king and when you begin to realize that you you won't sit down waiting for heaven you won't sit down waiting for heaven you will be empowered to be the hands and feet of King Jesus right here in this broken world. With with the power of heaven in you, because the king rules and reigns on your behalf, you can rest in the fact that the highest king is for you, his church. King Jesus is seated in the heavens in power, and we're seated Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcasts. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.